How many of you are looking at me going, I wonder what he's going to do now? I'm going to break out in a Toby Keith song. Just kidding. All right. So today we jump back into our Outside the Box, Inside the Line series. Two weeks ago we talked about five laws that govern good lines, good boundaries in our life, and today we're going to jump back into that idea. How can we, um, how can we pour into our lives in such a way, and in the right way, so that we have time and energy to pour into other people's lives? How can we have a good, strong relationship with our Father in Heaven so that we have the strength and the resources to pour into other people's lives? That's really what this series drives at. Is, is being a people of God who have time for God, that seems important as a Christian, doesn't it? To have actual time for Him, and to have time for other people. That's what boundaries are about. As we jump into this, as we've been into this for five weeks, you may be at a place right now where you're all about people are jumping into my yard and I want them out, and that may be where you're at, okay? And that's, that's uh, it's not okay, but it's a good place to start, okay? But it's not a good place to finish. And we'll talk about that more in just a minute. William Golding wrote a book many years ago called Lord of the Flies. You've probably heard of it, maybe seen a movie. Um, one of the most uh, powerful images of the film was a pig's head on a stick covered in flies, which is where the name came from. But the name is also a literal translation of the demon of the Old Testament, Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. In that movie, uh, this quote's made, it says, or in the book actually, um, one of the characters says, maybe, he said hesitantly, maybe there is a beast. And what I mean is, maybe it's only us. So there's this idea that may drive your worldview that people are basically good. That if given enough resources, money, whatever, they'll always do what's right and good. That drives a worldview, several worldviews that are out there. Which actually, quick tip, we're going to be talking about worldview in a month here, okay? I'm pretty excited about it. So Michael is too, he just doesn't know yet. Uh, but anyway, <clears throat> so... In the book, though, you have these, these British boys that end up castaways on an island, and the book explores what would happen when you remove the restraints of civilization and you just let people be who they really are. And in the movie and in the book, you see humanity just get stripped away as these boys basically become feral animals in the way they approach life. And all human civility, respect, all those things dissolve. And I'm not going to make a political comment like, just like we're seeing today. I'm not going to make that comment. <laughs> but he just did. No, shh. All right. So anyway, so the book does a good job of bringing those things into reality. So as we think about that today, I, I want you to realize we do live in a world with rules. Now, I know as Americans, we're like, I hate rules, which sounds silly for as many laws as we pass. For people who really don't like rules, there's something at odds with us, you know? But we, we really, as soon as someone tries to lay a rule on us, we kind of we like to buck that system. Which is weird, though, because we all learn the rules, though. Like, how, how, many, how many of you guys, you got married? Sometime in the first year, there were things you realized we don't talk about. <laughs> Those are the rules, you know. We don't talk about her mother. We don't talk about his, his mom. You know, whatever. You know, we just don't talk about it. That you learn these rules. You never admit them, but they're there. Well, the world is filled with principles and rules, and they came from somewhere. They came from a place. There's a source for those rules. And that's what, so as we talk about these boundaries and these lines and, and laws that are in play that are going to govern them, govern them and guide them, you've got to remember they came from somewhere. This isn't just someone cleverly uh, systemizing God's word. These are just realities that if you, you ignore them, it'll be at your peril. 
It's like you, if you ignore gravity, that's not going to work out for you. You can't ignore God's law either. That is not going to work out for you. So we, we live in a world full of people that have issues. You have issues. We all have issues. I'd like to unsubscribe from issues, but that, we all have them. Ever since Cain killed Abel, that's when we got the first glimpse of what's really in us, who we really have the potential to be. And then things moved on from itself. The enemy that we're dealing with, the first thing we have to address is us. That's really important. The Bible says in Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? So you kind of got a grasp at my basis a little bit. Why we need to understand these because God gave them to us, but also why we need them in our lives because without God's, not more than assistance, but without him in, injecting himself into our life, we have no hope of doing good, doing the right thing, because we just got too many issues. Everybody say issues. God next to you's got them, not you. I mean, just, how's that? Does that feel better? So God gave us his absolute. So after the sin hit the world, and Adam and Eve blew it, and we, we enter into this corrupt, fallen state, God doesn't give up on us. He shows up. He showed up for Abraham. Abraham was in the middle of nowhere, and God showed up for him and entered a friendship with Abraham. God showed up for Moses, and God entered a friendship with Moses that became the law. And it's important to understand that the Bible says in Matthew 18, Jesus says of the law, says, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So I, I kind of want you to fall in love with the rules, just a little bit. I want you to really fall in love with the maker of the rules, but when you see the beauty of, his, of how he's laid things out, it can be powerful in your life. David put it this way. He said, the very essence of your words is truth. All your just regulations will stand forever. Anyone who's ever had a good relationship with God loved the stuff that God said, even if it was rules. Make sense? You with me now? So far? I didn't have any cool jokes, but you're still with me, and that's we're just going to roll, roll with that, okay? So let's jump into some of the rules that are going to govern these lines in our life and how we're going to set them. And so we'll first start with the law of evaluation. You ever have an evaluation at work? Don't you love them? When I worked at McDonald's, I had to do them every quarter on every manager I had in the whole entire company. I had to sit down and talk about their performance. Do you know how much you have to make up in order to have that conversation? I'm not... <laughs> Any of my former employees? No, I'm just, I just want to say I'm sorry. Anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> so the Bible says this in Matthew 7, 13. Powerful verse. Make a note of it. By the way, all the scriptures I cover today are not in the study guide. They never are because I can only get so much in there. You should write them down because there's a lot of really important word scriptures in there, okay? Matthew 7, 13. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. Its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow, and the road is difficult, and only a few ever find it. That sounds encouraging. Let's write a book about that one, huh? The narrow life, I don't know. So when people call you narrow-minded, you're like, well, okay, maybe a little bit. I think there's a narrow way. So the law of evaluation basically teaches us 
that uh, when we set lines in our life, when we establish boundaries, they affect people. They affect us, and they affect others, and that's what we're evaluating. How are my choices and decisions affecting people? Whether it's your marriage, whether it's as a parent, whether it's in your friendship, whether it's on the job, you are responsible to make decisions about your life according to God's purpose on that life. We'll get to that in a minute. And as you make those decisions, it's going to have an impact on people. How many of you know that usually the best thing we do in life and the best decisions that we make start out hard and are easy later? And the worst decisions that we make typically start out easy and are hard later. So when you think about Jesus saying, hey, there's a narrow way and the road's tough. And there's a broad way. He said, there's a hard way and there's an easy way. And so we need to think about that as we think about our lives, what we're responsible for, what God's purpose is for us in that life. We need to live lives that, and, and draw lines in our life that motivate us and move us toward purpose, not just happiness. I'm going to say that again, and if you don't say amen, I'm going to preach on it for like 20 minutes straight. <laughs> we need to set lines in our life that move us toward purpose. You guys do well when coached. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. We need to be honest about ourselves, what our limits are, and we need to know what our purpose is in life, what God wants us to do, the kinds of things that are important about, or that God's heart is for us, okay? So a lot of times in life, we're not good at honesty. Most of your marriage fights are probably because you're not being honest. Can I just say that? That's, yes, that is an opinion. That is not the Word of God. But I'll tell you what happens, and you tell me if I'm, you can tell me if I'm wrong. If I'm wrong, you can just sit there and do that right there, and I'll ignore you. It won't be a problem for me. <laughs> How many of you get mad at your spouse about something? Resentful. I'm sorry, it's not mad, because Christians don't get mad. We get resentful. <laughs> they say something that hurts. You don't say anything. You don't say anything in the moment, do you? You just kind of keep it yourself. Well, that hurt. I'm, I'm just going to be a Christian, and I'm just going to suck it up buttercup, and I'm not going to say anything. And then three hours later, you fight about not the problem. <laughs> Ever done that? If I have a fight, and you're like, I don't even know why we're having this fight, because this isn't even the problem at all. What it really is, is I'm hurt about this thing that happened, but I'm afraid to say it now because it's very unchristian for me to be hurt. That's not true, by the way. If we could just be honest and say, hey, you know, when you call me fat, it hurts my feelings. <laughs> just be honest, you know, own it, you know. Honesty will take us a long way, okay? The Bible says in Ephesians 4.25, stop telling lies. I'll just stop right there just for a second. Don't we lie to each other all the time? It didn't hurt. We did, I did that as a kid, third grade. That's where I learned it. Someone would punch you. They'd put that knuckle out. That's how they did it when I was a boy. It's different now, I'm sure. Now they probably just go at you with a knife or something. But when I was a kid, it was, <laughs> it was a knuckle, you know, and they come and try and make your arm frog up, and that big bump come up there, and you know, <laughs> it didn't hurt. That's what we do in our relationships all the time. That's what we do with our, in our jobs. It didn't hurt. We are lying. The law of evaluation is about being honest. How did I really feel about that? What does it matter? Is it important? Should I do something? Should I not? Make sense? This is really, really important. And I know what some of you are thinking because some of you come from the same ilk that I am from, which is you're kind of a people pleaser. You want to be. Uh, I'm almost 50 and I'm totally getting over it. I'm just saying <laughs> This, this series is helping. So if I hurt your feelings, that's your yard. Anyway, so. 
So anyway, the problem is a lot of times we're like, well, if I say something, it will hurt their feelings. Don't we say that? We will hurt their feelings. So one, that's how someone takes things, unless you're being a jerk. I guess I'll put that caveat in there because I can see some of you have the potential for that. <laughs> unless you're just being a jerk. How someone takes what you, your lines or your boundaries, that's really their responsibility. Their feelings, their emotions, that's really their responsibility, okay? How many of you guys have ever been to a dentist? Give me a nod if you've ever been to a dentist. If you haven't, just smile. Let me <laughs> see what we got going on. Okay. Did he hurt you? Oh, yeah. I have a good dentist. He's very gentle, and I still cry like a baby when I go and see him, you know? He hurts you, but does he harm you? No. He fixes you. He fixes a tooth, whatever it is he's working on, and, and you get better as a result of the hurt. See, there's a difference between hurt and harm. See, like, I could sit down this afternoon and eat a whole gallon of ice cream, and you know I could do it. <laughs> and that would harm me. In fact, it might send me to the dentist so he could hurt me to help me get better, okay? See the process? We need to realize that hurt and harm are different things. Sometimes, if I hurt you, I'm really just giving you a chance to grow. I'm giving you a chance to deal with your own consequences. That's why we need to evaluate these things. That's why we need to think about these things. Because sometimes, just by being that people-pleasing person and taking on someone else's consequences, you are actually harming them. You are teaching them that someone will always be there to rescue them. As some human being other than their father is going to take care of them. And that is a harmful lesson to teach your children or anyone else. Right? Can you go there? Amen? Okay, we're good? Some of you are thinking, you're like, I don't know if I'm going to the dentist again. <laughs> oh, no, that's the wrong line of thought. Second law, well, actually the seventh law, sorry, there are ten of these, and I covered five the first week, is the law of proactivity, the law of proactivity. Romans 12, 21 says, don't let evil conquer you. Don't let evil conquer you. That's good. Amen. Sometimes we get stuck on the first part of that verse, and we just get all focused and wrapped up on the conquering FX and the aggressiveness of evil. And I do want to say, evil is aggressive. Remember I said that? We're going to come back to that later, okay? Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Magnifying right. Doing the right thing. Bringing righteousness back into style. That's me retranslating that second part of the verse for you. Trying to bring that home, okay? So... Every, I said earlier, sometimes when you start, when you discover, oh man, I'm responsible for my yard, my lines, and I have controllers and manipulators that are trying to take over my yard, and you notice it, you kind of freak out. Does anyone ever freak out? And it's just, just give me a nod. I, sometimes, let me pray for you, sister. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love that lady with all my heart. I just love any attention I can get from her, I'll get, okay? <clears throat> So, a lot of times we hit this reactive phase in life. Like we are, um, we realize that's, that things are happening. You know, oh, I'm being manipulated. Oh, I'm being controlled. Oh, whatever. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, that ain't happening. No. No more. And we kind of, then we get sensitive to it. You ever do that? And then all of a sudden you're looking. You go everywhere. And especially if you start on the journey, and I want to emphasize that learning to draw good, healthy lines in your life so that you can grow in Christ is a journey. You will not always get it perfect. You will not always get it right. And so it's okay to make mistakes. Just keep moving forward. 
okay? But on that journey, sometimes you get focused on the negative. You don't get proactive, you get negative active. I don't think that's a word, but anyway, negative hyphen active. How's that, okay? And, and you start looking for evil. That's what you're looking for. You start fighting evil. So it's a good place to start, though. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes if it weren't for the reactive phase, we would never seriously consider where we're going in life. Because if you live your life and everyone else is in control of it but you, I don't know where you're going to end up, but you're not going to like it. And your father, who you're actually accountable to, is not going to like it either. Okay? And so, these reactive phases are necessary, but they are not going to get you moving in the right direction. So proactive is focusing on the good. John Gordon is a writer I like to read. He writes a lot of positive attitude stuff, but he's a Christian. He says, where there is a void, negativity will fill it. And sometimes that's what happens. We start, and we start emptying out the negatives, the controllers, the manipulators, but that is not enough in itself. Okay? Does that make sense? Kind of? All right. So then the scripture goes on to tell us we need to be very proactive in the way that we do life. What does that mean? Well, we need to take actions based on our purpose and our values and, and, and our needs, our, our godly needs, our spiritual needs, our, our needs in life. We need to take actions based on those kinds of things, not just the controllers and the opinions of others in our life. Do you do that? And you don't have to nod. Don't signal, just sit there like stone face for just a second. I mean, just like your husband when he's ignoring you. Sit there like that for a second. Do you ever have those moments in life where uh, you lose your way and you don't know where you are in the sermon because you cracked a joke? And uh, <laughs> I hate it when that happens. I'm getting, I'm getting old. Anyway, I have part-timers disease. I forget stuff part of the time. Anyway, let me just jump right into the scripture. The word of God always saves my bacon. Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Take delight in the Lord. Where do your desires come from? They come from the Lord. You learn to take delight in the Lord. It's pretty simple. That's not rocket science. In fact, there's hardly anything in Christianity that's rocket science, okay? Um, except for actual rocket science. Second Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1, verse 11. May he give, this is my, one of my verses for the year. May he give you the power to accomplish all the good things your faith prompts you to do. Think about this. God wants you moving in a, I, I, hate, I hate to use the word positive nowadays because everyone just takes it all out of context. But he wants you moving in a plus direction. Isn't the cross kind of a positive? I mean, really? Isn't that a big plus sign that Jesus laid over our negative? So just uh, hang on to that, okay? <laughs> so this law has to do with us taking deliberate, thought-out action based on what our values are and what our purpose is in life, okay? Um, Newton's third law says for every action... There is an equal and opposite reaction, right? Galatians, let's, see, let's look at that in Scripture. So Galatians 5.13 says, You've been called to live in freedom. Okay, you're free. Are you free? Amen. If you're trying to believe it, let's try it again. Are you free? Amen. Amen, you are free. Doesn't mean you feel like it every day, but you are free. This is a theological truth, and an absolute truth, actually, that you're free in Christ. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. Don't let it ever be said that the reason I'm teaching boundaries is so that you can just be a selfish person. We start with you, but we don't end with you. Okay? 
So, he goes on to say, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. For if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. Okay? So, spiritual growth in, in this principle, this law, I guess, so to speak, is not about finding yourself. It's about finding your father and loving your brother or sister. Okay? And so we take action on that. So reaction, if you're in a place right now where you know what you're against, don't stop until you know what you're for. Does that make sense? That helped bring proactivity into focus there just a little bit? Okay, so move on to the next one. The law of envy. Woohoo! Camp, this is the one I've been excited about. No, just kidding. That was sarcasm. Let's read James 4 too. Anytime I go to James, you know it's going to be rough. So here we go to James. You ready? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. Now, I know you're sitting there going, I've never killed anybody. So I always like to make it personal and say, you, have never, you may have never killed a person, but you've killed plenty of relationships. That's what he's talking about, okay? That's part of what he's talking about, okay? So you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight, wage war to take it away from them, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. The grass is always greener on the other side. Isn't that kind of the, the thought of, of envy? That there's always, like, whatever someone else has, uh, that's what we need. It's, it's kind of a driver for sin, natural uh, inborn sin. D uh, Satan, Lucifer, wanted to be God. Adam and Eve, God put them on the earth, gave them dominion over the whole earth, but he set them in the garden first. They wanted to have dominion over the whole earth immediately and decided they wanted to be God. So envy is kind of a driver of all that stuff. And even while they wanted to be God, they were unwilling to steward what they had. And that's exactly what envy does to us. It keeps us from stewarding, taking care of what God has given us and keep us focused on what he didn't give us, which we have no control over, which is kind of a foundational issue in the area of drawing good lines in our life. Often we're looking at other people's life and their stuff and what they have. And our prayers sound like that, geez, God. They're not any better than I am. I've, hey, come on, you know you've prayed this. Lord, why are you being so nice to them? I'm sorry, that cracks me up uh, because I'm just thinking about those certain prayers I've had. Why, why are you being so nice to them? Why won't you be nice to me? Why don't you give me what they have? And what envy does is it keeps us from considering what God actually has for us. Think about this. What God gives to someone else isn't for you. It's for them. And as soon as we begin to realize that and move into a new state of our faith, which I call sonship, we move out of the orphanhood of our faith and into actually being sons and daughters, we can actually celebrate how God blesses other people rather than envying how they're blessed. And so the law of envy puts us in a place where we can't grow. We're focused on entirely the wrong things. One of the things envy does for us and demonstrates better than most other things is I have this saying that I, I kind of spit out every so often, and it's like this. Sin always promises the very thing it takes away. Sin always promises the very thing it takes away. And that's what envy does. It gets your sight set on something you want, and no matter how you scheme or try to get it, you will never actually possess it. 
Even if you get the item or the thing or the relationship, if you get it through envy, you will never actually possess it. That is the principle James is laying down in James 2. So envy, is just, it just robs us blind. And it is an indicator. Anytime we see in our life that we're looking at somebody else's yard wishing we had their grass or whatever they have, that is a strong indicator of a major heart problem in me. And so whenever it shows up, it's not something we want it to be there, that we want it to be there, but we need to not just dismiss it and not just delude ourselves into thinking that we're okay. We need to realize we have a real problem because we are something that may not be for us, that our Father, He may have something entirely different for us, okay? So that's, that's where envy comes in. It, it, it trips us up in so many ways, and so we need to think about those kind of things. And I'm going to go ahead and move on. I have more to say about envy, but you look like you're in enough pain, so I'll move forward to the law of activity. So Matthew 25, 25, it concludes, or almost concludes, a cool parable. We'll come back to it in a couple of weeks or maybe next week sometime. And in that parable, Jesus tells the story of a landowner who gives out talents or money to invest. But some translations use talents, some use minus. The point is, God gives out some responsibilities to three guys. The first guy gets five talents, and he goes invest it and gets five more. The second gets two, he invests it and gets two more. The last one gets one, and he buries it and gets no more. And so at the end of that, the servant is making excuses for doing nothing. Remember I said the word nothing, okay? He did nothing. He just buried his talent. And his answer to that, his excuse was, I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money, so I hid it in the earth, and look, here is your money back. Do you know how Jesus classified what Jesus' words were on the servant who did nothing? He said, you wicked and lazy servant. Wicked and lazy is what Jesus called the servant who did nothing. You're with me. You're following me right now, okay? If we try and fail, we learn. But if we do nothing, nothing happens. It's very important for us to understand. God did not put us on this planet to do nothing. He put us here to do something. I said earlier, evil is aggressive. When we do nothing, evil expands. Evil gets larger. Evil gets worse. God did not put us on this earth to stand around and do nothing. In fact, I'll just crawl in that crib just for a second. He didn't call us, he didn't just want us to sit around, sing hymns to Jesus, and read our Bibles and do nothing about the evil in the world. He put us on this place to fight. And until the church gets its mind wrapped around the idea that we live in a world at war, we're going to keep losing this fight. That's another sermon for another time. Back to boundaries. <clears throat> we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith. And obtain life. That's what we're fighting for, is life. People to live eternally. Life to come into our world. James 4, 17. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Boy, that's a sobering verse. I mean, really, you came to church today, right? You're going to learn some good things to do. If you don't do it, you follow James just as well as I do, okay? We're created to be aggressive. 
Think, does the word aggressive and Christianity, do those go together in your vocabulary and your understanding? They do. I like that. Yes. Go ahead. Does aggressive and Christianity go together for you? Amen? Yeah. All right. Amen. That's right. Listen to this. Matthew 7, 7, 8. Keep on asking. Does that sound passive? Keep on asking. You'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking. You'll find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. That's a promise. My God said that through the lips of Jesus Christ, man. We, man, if the church got a hold of that, we could, wreck the, we could wreck some evil, all right? We could wreck some evil right there. If we, oh, anyway, okay, another sermon, another sermon. Man, I keep having these great ideas. I'm going to start making notes, or next week we're going to be here for a while. Anyway, you see, God works with us. Paul said we're co-laborers, that we're in a partnership with God. Now, I, I know God does way more than we do. I get that. But God said to Abraham, hey, I need you to move. And you know what Abraham did? He moved. Jesus said, Peter, walk, man. You want to walk? You want to come see me? Come on. What did Peter have to do? With no indication that anything different than sinking was going to happen, he had to step his foot out on a raging sea and walk to Jesus Christ. And he failed at it. And, he's, and then Jesus like snatches him up and yanks him out of the water and says, if you did, why didn't, why'd you lose your faith? And so he indicated, he showed us what faith looked like because for a minute there, Peter had some faith going on. And then he had some storm going on. And that's usually what trips us up. Faith blinds us to the storm sometimes. Anyway, Enoch had to take a walk with God. and then God, he, he, Enoch started the walk and God showed up and walked it with him. You see... Let go and let God, that's a great concept after you've done what God said, after you've taken the first step. Let go and let God does not work if you're sitting on your couch flipping through your Netflix shows and doing nothing for Father. That, that doesn't fly there. God's got this. Yeah, he's got it. But the reason there isn't more kingdom, more good, and more miraculous in the world is because we're sitting on our rear ends when we should be standing up and active for righteousness in our world. And it's the same way in relationships and in your life and in your lines. If you just expect to sit back and let God take care of it, that ain't happening, sister. What will happen is when you step forward in faith, like David, he had to go pick up rocks to knock down a giant. Who knows if he even aimed? I don't think he was worried about that. I think it was like, God's got this, but I'm going to do my part. So, sometimes we've got to fling our stone, so to speak. Every miracle in the New Testament started after someone took a step of faith. Everyone. I, one of Paul's miracles, I can't, sometimes I'm, he had to look at a guy and say, get up and walk. You got enough faith to do that? You got enough courage to do that? Get up and walk. And then God had the nerve to show up. By the way, Paul didn't heal anybody. God did. Amen. What makes the church powerful is not us. It's God in us. Amen. And it's the same way in your life, okay? So, law of activity. We've got to take some action. Last law, law of exposure. And I've only got another hour and a half to finish this last one up, so bear with me. I like to make that nervous joke. I don't know why I can't stop. It's tacky, it's old, but I still keep doing it. 
So, stop telling lies. We touched it earlier. Let us tell our neighbors the truth for all parts of the same body. Verse 26. Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. So we're back into this honesty thing. And that's where we wrap up. Because that's really what lines are about. Being honest with ourselves. Being honest about our limits. Being honest with God. And being honest with the people in our lives. But, I'll tell you what we do. And it's a little bit weird. I don't know why we do it, but this is what we do. We expect people to read our minds. Now, that's what the law of exposure is about. You know, how many of you men, I picked on the women earlier, so I'll pick on the guys now. How many of you men, your wife did something that annoyed you. You didn't tell her it annoyed you, but you did your best at looking annoyed for about three weeks. (laughs) And you thought to yourself, That'll learn her. She'll never do that again. And then, three weeks later, as soon as you put a smile on, she did it again. And here's why, guys. She can't read your mind. It's not like you're doing a great job of reading your mind, by the way. I'll just throw that out there for free, okay? She can't read your mind. And so the law of exposure is, there's no point in drawing a line in your life if you're not going to tell anybody. That's really it. It's pretty simple, right? You just need to to let people know what's going on, what you are going to or not do. I mean, and so that's just what exposure is. It's just being honest and open about these these things that are going on in your heart and what you need to do. Um, Sometimes we think about how do I get people out uh, out of my space or out of my yard. And so sometimes it's just as simple as telling them to leave. There you go, law of exposure. Let me jump into Ephesians, though. It's also about light. So, biblical principle here about light. Everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That's why it's said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. When we withdraw passively, which is something we do, rather than speaking up, rather than talking about the hurt, rather than trying to get to the bottom of it. I'll tell you what Satan does. He loves it when we live in the dark. He, it's his favorite thing. And what, what, happened, what do I mean, live in the dark? Well, someone hurts you, offends you, or, or someone's trying to control you, 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 you pick up on it. Rather than addressing it, you run. A lot of people do that. We don't, we don't want to hurt someone, so we abandon them, which is harmful. We don't want to hurt them, so we abandon them. We, we don't want to hurt them, so we harm them. Catch that? You with me? And so we kind, of res- we kind of withdraw, and the relationship suffers. They don't know what happened, but they know something's wrong. Do you know something's wrong in a relationship when someone's a little upset with you? Do you pick up on it? Oh, I do. I do. I, I tell you, and, and sometimes it's nothing. Sometimes it's just the person doesn't feel well that day or something like that. But... But more times than not, there was something wrong. And I'm like, why didn't you say something? You know, because one, I didn't mean that, or it was a mistake, or, or two, uh, you know, I was wrong. Every now and then, it's very rare, I'm wrong. <laughs> very, very rare. I mean, I was mistaken once because I thought I had been mistaken. But anyway, so, <clears throat> and so we try and, when we try and privately bear that pain, it, it doesn't work. Satan comes along in those moments. Gives him a foothold. That's what Peter's, I mean, Paul's talking about Ephesians. 
It gives him a foothold. We're hurt, we're angry, whatever it is, it may be small. We don't address it, and it's in the darkness of our mind. He lies to us. He comes and starts telling us other things that the person might be thinking or doing or whatever. And, and it gets worse. Where there's a void in relationship, negativity will fill it. Your marriage, your kids. That's why we're supposed to be active. Evil's aggressive. Righteousness needs to be more aggressive. Okay? And fill things with light. Bring them out of the darkness. And then Satan can't use them against you anymore. Most of the time, my wife and I were talking about this yesterday. Most of the time, people feel like they're the only ones dealing with what they're dealing with. They're the only ones who feel the way they feel. Funny thing is, you can go to support groups, small groups, find out that everyone in the room has experienced the same kind of feelings, and the next time you have them, you'll still believe you're the only one. Because Satan is a prince of darkness. And as long as those feelings, thoughts, and fears are in the dark, he has a place to play in your heart. So the law of exposure is about bringing light. It's just about shining light on how I feel, my boundaries, my lines, my relationships, letting God's light infiltrate all of that. There you go. The last five laws. We've covered ten now in two sermon series. If you're like me, you have work to do. I do. One of the reasons I wanted to do this series because I have a lot of work to do in the area of drawing good, healthy lines. When I stand before my Father in Heaven one day, I, I want to have the, the best life that I can give Him. And I know I can't do that in my own strength. I, I'm no, no dummy. Well, I am a dummy, but that, that's part of understanding it, you know. <laughs> but I, I want to be able to stand there like the servant with, who, had gotten, who had doubled their talents. I want to be able to say, Lord, what you gave me, I lost some, I gained some, but when it was all said and done, what you gave me, here's more. That's all. Here's more. I can't do that if I live my life totally wrapped up in me. I, I can't do that if I live my life and I don't have time for my father and I don't have time for you. I can't do that. A life that's lived just to make money until I die. I don't want to offend you, but isn't that kind of stupid? I mean, it's just greasing a wheel I don't even want to be on. I want to live for a purpose and a reason. So as you think through what we've talked about today, hopefully you made some notes. Maybe God gave you some ideas. One, either if, if you don't do anything else, at least take some more time to talk about them with someone on the ride, ride home. Or think about them during your devotion time this week. Another step you could do, I think Carrie and Michael are going to be on, probably back in this room over here on my right, to pray over people after communion. Go back there and let them pour some prayers into you. Now you're sitting there going, well, I don't know if I, I don't know how I feel about that. Well, who cares? Stop worrying about how you feel about it and just let somebody pour some spirit into you. Pour, pour some prayer into you. And by the way, i got a lot of folks who are good at praying in this room, so if there's a lot of you, we got it covered. Don't you worry about it. We're dying to pour some Jesus into your life. It's not a problem, okay? Get some encouragement through prayer. And if, if you need someone to talk to, man, there's some amazing people in this body who've been down this road, learned a lot of lessons, uh, and we'd be happy to buy you a cup of coffee, listen, pray, ask Jesus to say whatever he wanted to. I'm going to pray. 
because I, over this message, and then I'm going to ask Michael to come up. Heavenly Father, you know our needs, you know the hearts in this room. And I've said a lot of sticky things today, and I know that. Um, Lord, I pray that you would use those as a way to pry through darkness and shine light into hearts, not as a place for the enemy to use the darkness to drive more guilt in place. Lord God, we want to live in freedom, not fear, not darkness, not aloneness. We want to live for you, responsible for ourselves and responsible to each other. Father, I want every person's room to know you as their Lord and Savior, as their Father, as their Papa God. And I pray, Lord, that you would take these, these ideas, these laws, these incredible scriptures and just drive them deep within us. Lord, I, I just want to invite you into our yard. <laughs> we really need to sit down with you, speak to you, pour out our hearts and listen to what you have to say. Thanks, Jesus. Pastor Michael.